ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're thankful for your word before us. Keep us uh, the kind of people, followers of your son, that, that, uh, that listen to you. In your son's name, amen. Psalm 82, um, for a passage I have been to probably thousands of times, I have never, I, you know, I was looking it up in my little guidebook, I had never preached on Psalm 82. I've been to this passage thousands of times in conversations with people. And it's one of those things that, as I've gone to it in conversation, I kind of want to violate the reason I went to it in conversation, or challenge it, or at least hold it back a little bit. I was, uh, for decades now, I've probably been, well, he's the guy with the weird views. Just about everything. And so my views on cosmology, the gods, are weird. Many Christians don't like them. And then I say, well, what about Psalm 82? God has taken his place in the divine council. Amidst the gods, he holds judgment. So you can see why I get to this. And then, of course, a guy named Heiser wrote a book recently, over the last few years, called The Unseen Realm. And it was touching on all these weirdnesses in the Old Testament that telling Christians, you may uh, consider that this is how they viewed the world. And then I was in a conversation at the reading uh, Wednesday uh, where someone was wondering how ransom had become ransom. And the conversation went to the, uh, the discarded image and the view of the cosmology that Lewis held or has his, at least his character hold and the kind of sublime quality of holding views like the gods. But countering that, when Evan would bring up Psalm 82, a faithful evangelical would look at me and go, well, my translation says the mighty it's the mighty he holds judgment, not the gods. Because they believe that this is addressing uh, leaders of Israel uh, in a uh, reprimand. Not the gods in a reprimand, but the leaders of Israel in a reprimand. Well, this morning it doesn't matter which view you take. Because... The problem I had, I, I think it's legitimate to ask that question of the passage. It's going to become, not just in our time, not just because we're secular material, we're religious materialists, we don't believe in things that go bump in the night. Um, it was also a problem in the time of the Lord. This is Psalm of Asaph, we're talking 1000 BC. A thousand years later, the Jews had gotten to the point where they were a little bit surprised by Jesus using this passage. So, 
Is there a door up there? Oh, that'd be good. At least for you. Can you hear him up there? Yes. Okay. Let's stop. Let's stop that right now. Um, because the passage, even if it's about the gods and God judging the gods, or even if it's about the mighty and God judging the mighty, it's about something not about them being or not being. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. The problem is then, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That's the point. Whoever you think it is, is being corrected, not for an inaccurate view of themselves, but an inaccurate task completed in life. Whether you're mighty or you're gods. That's the concern of God, that you live in such a way that it is a credit to his desire to govern the earth. Let's just imagine for a moment that God is a god. Let's just imagine for a moment that as a god he has charge over this earth. He is sovereign. He will judge the earth. That's what it calls upon him at the last verse. Oh God, judge the earth. That's what gods are able to do. That's God step in and rule things. And whether or not it's other little g gods or big M mighties, or just you as a parent, or you as a boss, or you as a, you know, pastor, whatever it is you are. There is a, there's a state of judgment that is passed on us for not reaching justice. You notice how it repeats that thought. Judging unjustly, verse 2, showing partiality, second half of the verse, give justice, maintain the right. And rescue them when it finally gets down to the point where the weak and the needy need to be rescued from the hand of the wicked. We sometimes don't realize that it's not being weak and needy that is so special to God. You know, if you, I know we, we in our Western world we think that being poor is somehow a, you know, getting your card punched for holiness. You know, St. Francis gave up everything. And people who are poor just are just more noble. No, it's not, it's not that. It's what they are the people to whom injustices can be done. It's not that a baby is killed in abortion. It's that an injustice has been done to the most vulnerable. That's why you do injustice, is they can't stop you. Whether you're a baby or a poor man, they can't stop you. Whether you're a god or you're the mighty, they can't stop you. Justice is really absolutely central to everything we do and think. 
on this earth. Our God makes morality on the basis of his need to bring justice to our doings. If he did not bring justice to our doings, there would be no morality. I don't know if you knew that. Um, what if you say, uh, hey, pick on, who am I going to pick on? Elizabeth. I'm going to go down a row, one, two, three, four, go down to row four, walk in there, just paste Elizabeth in the face. For nothing, nothing at all, just because she's from Alaska. And so he says, you can't do that. That's just wrong. That's just, who says? He said, God says. No, you turn the other cheek, you don't paste a young lady just because. And you come up with a verse, you know, hesitations three. Do not paste a young lady. So, well, let's check with God. God said that, yeah. But what God, what's God going to do? God says, you know, next verse after that. If you paste a young lady for no reason whatsoever, I will do nothing about it. As soon as the phrase, I will do nothing about it, arrives, it ceases to be a morality and starts to be an opinion. Okay? God says, well, I don't want you to hit Elizabeth. But I'm not going to do anything about it. You say, okay. Anybody free to pace Elizabeth? during the, Because God is not going to do anything about it. It is judgment... God coming in judgment. Rise, O God, judge the earth. Verse 8. <laughs> that makes morality a huge part of our active life. And we're being taught in this Psalm 82 to give our concerns to it and that God, let's just say that the divine council, the midst of the gods, Is everything first world and above? Okay, we're in the we got that. You know, the people talk about white privilege. I mean, you're all white, pretty much. First world privilege. You ever be in those conversations? You're complaining about your quinoa not being sourced organically, and you and so you then you suddenly realize a friend says, "Oh, first world problems." You know. We have food. We're choosing because we're idiots to eat quinoa. God made wheat, we're eating quinoa. Or as the Oxford English Dictionary says, quinoa. We know what a first world privilege is. We are, at least, if it's not about the mighty, if it were about the mighty, we would be in the mighty. We get to choose to live in North Idaho. Choose to live here. Because we could all own a car. Cecilia's car went sideways on her. Was it this morning? Yesterday. Yesterday. But <laughs> she has multiple vehicles. So she's driving her truck to church. We, we can choose to live in a town with 28,000 people on the edge of civilization. And we have... One, two, three grocery stores and a 
something, a co-op, to provide, to provide us our food. Trucks driving day and night to bring those canned goods to us. We could really be taken up with sitting on the Divine Council. How long does it take before being on the Divine Council or being on the Council of the Mighty? God's looking at you, don't you have work to do here, like doing some justice? And you're going, um, well, no, I was just collecting all the benefits of being in the first world. I was, I was just collecting the benefits of being one of the gods. How long will you judge unjustly? Show partiality. When it starts to happen, eventually, the world, Davis and I were talking about this uh, a couple of nights ago, it, at a certain point, the ruled start cutting the heads of the aristos off. I don't approve of that. Okay? I just want to let you know right now. I don't approve of the guillotine being used on aristocrats. But by a certain point, the Sansculottes wanted to cut their heads off. And they got down to do it. They had even forgotten there were the needy. It's called the, uh, what is it called? The Ancien Regime in France. The highest level, the king and the aristocrats, the clergy, all functioned in a rarefied world. Didn't even know those people were there. Just sort of things magically appeared on your Safeway shelves. Now, this is not a sermon that says Evan is going around the bend. He's been listening to Bernie Sanders way too much and it's going to become a, you know, a, a leftist progressive cult of social justice. I don't care about social justice. I care about actual justice. Where wrong is done to someone and they are supported. Because they don't have a father. They're weak. Because they're afflicted by the situation and when that affliction becomes the state of things, it's a destitution. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Now verse 5, and, verse five I think is about the mighty or about the gods. It's not about the destitute. The quote quits, right, or the, at least in the RSV, the quotes quits there at the end of verse 4. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. We have been given, the gods have been given, the mighty have been given, whatever you take it to be, or both, rule. That's what makes the great the great. That's what makes the first world the first world. The first world's in charge of stuff. We're the greatest nation the world has ever seen, okay? The wealthiest nation the world has ever seen, the most powerful nation the world has ever seen. Julius Caesar had nothing on us. We can do what we will on the earth. Now, there's people who don't like us, and there are other nations who'd like to supplant us, and maybe they will supplant us at some day. But that's what the mighty get. That's what the gods were given. 
If you believe it was the gods, the gods were given rule. If you believe it was the mighty, God gave the mighty rule. And they're functioning without knowledge. They're functioning without understanding. They're blind. They walk about in darkness. They're not doing justice. They're not picking up the task that rule makes. They don't even study the circumstance. That's what being noble is, is, is to apply order to those below you in a way beneficial to them. Because that's what happens with the first world privilege. Everybody just starts collecting. Everybody says, my investment, my parents invested in being in the first world and now I'm here and everything's you know, sometimes, I don't know if you feel this in the mornings with that cup of coffee and the sunlight, you know, spring's coming on a little bit, you can feel it's going to be a nice day. Sun's coming through a window, you got a cup of coffee. You're, you're ruling all you survey, you don't have a clue what's going on, but you got a cup of coffee. And some of say, I'm singularly blessed. Yes, you are, singularly. You have been called into service in this world. Do you know what's going on? Do you have knowledge? Do you have understanding? Are you walking about in darkness? Then he says, I say, you are gods. Sons of the Most High, all of you. So he's repeating the God thing. So if you want the mighty thing in here, it's the, it's the word Elohim, if you're wondering. Nevertheless, you shall die like men and fall like any prince. That's the warning. He says, this is my judgment. I, I, I put you in charge, whether you're mighty or gods, I put you in charge to do justice and to understand what's going on. The benefit of the first world is that we know how things work. We know how to plug in electrical cords to a grid that is produced by advanced engineering that we advanced on the world and now we hand it out to people who don't understand it. People stop caring about their duties in the world, whether they're gods or whether they're mighty. And here's the thing. <laughs> Whatever you think this is about, You're going to die. You're going to be judged. Just like, just like you were called to. You were called to bring justice. Not be partial to bad people. Make sure that the weak get it. You will get it. You will die like men and fall like any prince. Now, for the people who believe this is about the mighty, that sort of is the revelatory passage. They think, well, see, that's really the mighty. For the people who believe it's the gods, you say, no, it's about the gods because it's a change for them. They will die like men. We shall all be judged. Now, 
this advice that Asaph gives to the gods of the mighty, ending there with, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for to thee belong all the nations, is something that uh, it doesn't point to an, it, it points to the problem. It doesn't point to an, it just says, how we're going to deal with this is God is going to judge. How we're going to deal with this is you are going to die. The problem is, this is one of those strange passages quoted in John 10. Not anywhere else. <laughs> Just John 10. Jesus quotes this psalm. And in John 10, there is a... Um, it's coming out of the section where uh, the Good Shepherd is talked about and he is giving a, a talk about my sheep hear my voice. Um, and the Jews get upset because he said, I and my father are one. And uh, that's where we start with verse 31. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. They tried that again back in chapter 8, I think. Chapter 8, 59. So they took up stones to throw at him. By the end of 10, they've all picking up stones again to hoisted Jesus Christ. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of these do you stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for good work that we stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. They understood what he was saying when he said, I and the Father are one. But then Jesus pulls this rabbit out of his hat. says, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. Now what's important about this is not only jumps right in the middle of that Psalm 82, where it says, I say, you are gods. But the Greek version of gods isn't the word the mighty. It is theos. Gods. And Jesus makes a case of saying, hold it, doesn't your Bible call certain beings gods? He doesn't say who. If he called them gods, verse 35, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, holy Bible, holy true, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. He doesn't even quote the rest of that verse 6. Sons of the Most High, all of you. But again, that's not the point. The Jews were already point about, you know, for them it was not that, you know, we are monotheists, we can't even tolerate the idea that other gods. For them, it was don't make yourself like God because that's blasphemy. And he turns to this passage and picks up on a side meaning of it. Now, being hung up, it's fine to go to this passage when you're talking about the gods. But don't miss what it's talking about in the content. Is that whoever is in charge, whether it's gods or mighty, whether it's first world or not, God is really concerned with justice. 
that you be there to provide support, protection for someone who needs it. And what's interesting here is Christ just sort of says, hold on, what? But early, earlier in John uh, 10, uh, they were arguing. Um, Oh, back in 1020. Many of them said, he has a demon and he is mad. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the sayings of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So the guy, some of the crowd is going, oh, yeah, this guy's doing stuff. This guy's doing stuff. And then Christ says in the passage we have here on your page, verse 37, if I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. For, for me, that's like the important anchor point, this, this concept in Psalm 82 and in John 10. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. It's almost like we should all have that on a t-shirt, backwards, so we can read it in the mirror. If I'm not doing the works of my Father in heaven, don't believe me. You should say it to all your non-believing friends. If I'm not doing the works of God the Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. It's undeniable to the people listening to Jesus, he's, got, he's doing stuff. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's, he's exercising his mightiness, his godness, his power, his his nobility is, has a purpose. He has strength. And he uses it for good. When it says, This is life from the Father. This is the works given him by the Father. This is a process by which the task in Psalm 82 and the task that Christ shows them that he was doing, he says, verse 38, if you, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Remember what it said earlier, they have neither understanding nor knowledge. They walk about in darkness. If you see the mighty or the gods being righteous, if you, one, the mighty or the gods, or the first world, or the rulers, or the white privileged, doing the good they were given power to do. If you see the works, you could know and understand that the Father, goodness, in some way, to the degree that they are doing the good, 
leads the situation. Morality of God leads the situation. God himself, Christ was able to do incredible works, no sin, powerful actions. It was obvious the Father was in him and he in the Father. To the degree that you have goodness in your actions, where you're doing justice in your actions, this informs the world about what they need to know. We finally get around to doing what we ought to do. This is where belief, uh, knowing and understanding comes from. And the end result, the end belief is the Father and Christ are one. As soon as you get there, I mean that's what they reacted to earlier. You, you made yourself one with the Father. It's, that's blasphemy. That's making yourself equal to the Father. Christ said, yeah. That's what my works will teach you. Soon as people don't want to, want to have all the maybe the bells and whistles of morality in Christianity, they don't want Jesus Christ to be what he is. But that's what the works of Christ teach us, that he was, what did the centurion say at the crucifixion? Surely this man was the son of God. Guy's hanging on a cross. But the evidence of his life, the evidence of his words, even there, is that what people think of you? Surely this person is one of the redeemed. Surely this person is a saint. Surely this person is, is a remarkable human being who does these unthinkable good things to others who works justice, does not favor the wicked. And again, it's not something we're out there serving the needy because the needy make you feel sad, but because justice is right. Justice is what all morality depends on. Somebody. Um, When Christ says this, again they tried to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. One of the things you have to become inured to, if you're saying, yeah, I'm going to walk the earth until I die like every man, like any prince. I'm going to walk it as a prince faithful to God, doing what a prince is supposed to do. I know that I will die one way or the other. And because of the wickedness, even when the Son of God walked the earth, man who created heaven and earth and made everything, as doing that good with the most powerful works and undeniable morality, they still wanted to pick up a rock and hit him in the head. You're not going to fix the world. Jesus didn't fix the world. They will want to kill you. You are lucky to live in a reasonably calm, secular state where they don't allow people to burn other people at the stake. Because we are fully capable of that. We're fully capable, the righteous people of God, picking up a rock because the Messiah had come and proved to them his Messiahship but because of their theological categories, they wanted to hit him with a rock. 
I mean, not just hit him with a rock like in a fight, but kill him with a rock. So don't expect anything else. Count your blessings. Know what your responsibility is to do justice. That's the thing. I was looking at it in Micah. You know the passage. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So whatever state of privilege you have been given, You've got a task, got an assignment. Not to just drift off into the comfort of the goodness of your circumstance. I'm a god. I'm one of the mighty. I can go to Starbucks. I can just hang out. There's justice to do. There's goodness to enact. And I don't mean the busybody sort of justice where you you get a t-shirt for it. But just being Righteous to the man beat up on the road in front of you. Righteous to your neighbor who is better off than you, but you can be good. Kindness, justice, and humility. The world might not like it. They didn't like it when the Lord did it. The Lord likes it. He arises and judges the earth, and to him belongs all the nations, and you're the nations. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. In your son's name, amen.